All right, good morning. We're going back in the Word today. I hope you got a Bible. If not, lucky you, this is video, so you can pause it and go grab one. <laughs> but I hope you've already got it. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Uh, we're jumping right into the Word. Uh, I always like to get straight in. I mean, that's what we're here for, right? I mean, I know I look pretty and all, but that ain't what we're here about. We're here to be in God's Word. So uh, get get in there and... Um, we want you to come to church tonight. This is not church. I always say this, but it's because to me it's very important to be understood what we, what, what church is. For, for This right here is me preaching a text to a camera. Um, and hopefully you're reading along or looking in there as well. But tonight when we gather together, that's when church happens. When we come together as brothers and sisters and we get into the same text, same piece of word, piece of text, and just pull it apart and discuss it and really bury it in our hearts we spend time praying we eat you know, you know hang out and stuff like that so we want you to come hit us up online we'll tell you how to find us we're in tempe arizona so especially if you're in the east valley or somewhere around anywhere around tempe for sure hit us up we'd love for you to come we'll tell you how to find us uh social media email all that stuff you you can uh you can find us and a quick reminder i'll say it again but uh on the 5th which is uh labor day weekend on that sunday we're having a Quick business meeting beforehand. If you're a member, want to come just kind of see where we are as a church. And also that night we'll do an upper room, which is what we call the Lord's Supper. Again, if you've been here, you know why we call it that. It's an awesome night. Love for you to come be part of that uh, if you want to. So one other note for us as a church, disciple making is key. That's, that's, what, that's our whole DNA. That's what we're about. We want to make disciples so that God will grow churches. That's our desire and in its entirety as a church. And and we do that through groups, through discipleship groups, through uh, small groups of men with men, women with women. And, and in those groups, we, we look at three different things. Basically, engage, equip, empower. Engage, we want you to join a group. We want you to start a group, join a group. Uh, it begins as, you know, you, you come to faith, be even better. If somebody shares the gospel and they bring, bring you into the group with them. Um, either way, but you, you join a group. And then in that group, you're equipped that you're studying the word, you're memorizing the word, you're reading the word, you're serving uh, in the community, you're living life on life together, you know, hanging out and spending time together. You may go on a mission together, uh, all, all those kind of things. And then at some point, though, the important key is to empower, to release, to, to say, okay, we, we, we're done here. We're going to start new groups. To, we're going to each go out and start new groups and we believe as we continue to do that and focus on that, that God will raise up from those people, uh, the uh, church planters, people who want to go plant churches because they feel God's call in their life to do it. So anyway, I say all that to say we would love for you to consider being part of one of those groups. We'll, we'll talk about it. You can hit us up and we'll tell you about that as well. So then we're going to do this cross-shaped life series and we're going to keep going today. I'll remind you again, our theme verse is actually from 1 Corinthians, even though we're in Second. 1 Corinthians 2, 2, which says, For I've decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. So today, excuse me, along those lines, I kind of pulled this thought of, well, but compared to you, dot, dot, dot. Now, as I say it that way, you understand where I'm kind of coming from with that. You ever heard that before? You ever thought that before? You know what I'm saying? I didn't even finish the sentence, but you know exactly what I'm saying. What is it in our nature that com compels us to make comparisons? You know, or, or why do we feel like we need to justify ourselves by placing another person in the mirror that we're looking at? 
Y'all know what I'm talking about. We all wrestle with it. But the truth is we only have one with whom we are to be compared, and that's Christ. How are you doing with that? How are you doing with that? Let me read the text here, and we'll get in. And we're going to start. I'll start reading in verse 15 of chapter 10, and then we'll back up. But verse 15 says, uh, Paul says, We do not boast beyond limit in the labors of others, but our hope is that as your faith increases, our area of influence among you may be greatly enlarged, so that we may preach the gospel in lands beyond you, without boasting of work already done in another's area of influence. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord, for it's not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. Amen to that. Let me pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word. It's awesome. It's your word. My mouth is running right now. God, I know that, but it's your word, and I pray it stays that way, Lord. I pray you speak clear through me in a way that changes me as well. We ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. So, you know... uh Dumping the glasses, you know how that goes. So here in Arizona, there's some pretty crazy Old West um, cemeteries like Boot Hill down near Tombstone. And uh, some of those, uh, you know, headstones are famous for some crazy lines that are on. I'm not going into all that. But it's funny to think of what people say. Maybe funny is not even the word at times. But what people say about you when you're gone. Uh, I'm going to read this right here. You might have heard this little short story here. It's not usually my style to read something, but uh, it reads well, and it's really short. So let me just read it the way it's written here. Minnie Pearl, a comedian in Nashville, Tennessee, once told about two brothers who had cheated, swindled, disrespected, and mistreated everyone they had ever done business with. One of the brothers died. The other was left to arrange his funeral. So the surviving brother told the local preacher he'd donate $10,000 to the church if he would say that his brother was a saint, the one who died. And the preacher said, you mean all I have to do is work into the eulogy the words, he was a saint? Yes, that's all, the surviving brother said. So the brother wrote the, pre- uh, the preacher a check and they shook hands on the deal. The funeral was packed with people curious as to whether the preacher would actually follow through. He did so with these words. As you know, the deceased was an awful man who cheated, swindled, disrespected, and mistreated everyone he ever did business with. But compared to his brother, he was a saint. (laughs) You might have heard that before, but you know... We already, I know we already talked about this in the text here about what people think about us does actually matter. But what Paul's looking at here is a little bit different in this text. He's looking more at about, uh, how we compare ourselves with others. How we, we, we look at others as, as the model for us or, uh, Maybe the question is, what exactly is it we're looking for when we do look at them? You know, there's no outline today. I don't didn't do one because I like the way this reads through pretty smooth. And so I'm just going to walk straight through it and look at the central point here that Paul is continuing to hammer home. And, and that's that there's only one person that we're compared to, and that's Christ, regardless of whether your faith is in him. Hello. Regardless of whether your faith is in him or not, he's the one you're compared to. He alone is the standard. That might be good news and it might be terrifying news, but you need to know it. He alone is the standard. That means 
excuse me, as followers of Christ, our bragging is in him alone. That's it. That's the only one we can brag in. Brag on. Why? Because all of our authority, all of our accomplishments, our true uh, commendations, they all come from him and him alone. So, man, let's set our eyes. Let's set our eyes on him. Let's fix our hearts in a way that they race towards him and him alone. You know, removing everything that turns us inward or to others for commendation or, or approval. And we'll talk about what that looks like. So verse 7, let's back up. We'll go through this quick. Verse 7, Paul says, look what is before your eyes. If anyone is confident that he's in Christ, let him remind himself that just as he's in Christ, so also are we. For even if I boast a little too much of our authority, which the Lord gave for uh, gave for building you up and not for destroying you, I will not be ashamed of doing it, you know. Look, Paul says right up front, look, man, look. Like the evidence of what's happening with you in Corinth, it's all around you. It's right in front of your face. That's what he means. Look what's before your eyes. Look in front of your face, man. You, you, the church, you, Corinth, you are the evidence, man, of what God's doing. You are the evidence. Sometimes we forget the best evidence of God's work in our lives is the salvation that came to us in the first place. That's one of the first things that seems to drift back into the past. Man, Paul says, man, you are that. Look around you, man. You are the evidence. He says, let him. I like that phrase. He says, you know, if anyone is confident that he's in Christ, let him remind himself. He's basically saying, you better check yourself. Modern day language. You better check yourself. Check what? Well, he's saying before you sit on your own salvation, because remember here, he's been under attack by these uh, super apostles, you know, these these guys who claim to be the apostle of apostles. You know, he said, before you sit on your own salvation, you know, your own spiritual accomplishments, your own learning and credentials, your own teaching and then measure others against you. Before you do that, judging their ministry and their responsibilities before God, before you do that, you better remember that it's God who assigns salvation in the first place. It's God who assigns authority. It's God who assigns ministry. You know, or, or, or maybe Jesus just made you better and smarter. Maybe Jesus just made you better and smarter. Does, this, does that mean you're somehow more important to him than somebody else? Or even worse, does that mean that somebody else doesn't actually belong to him at all because they're so far from where you are? Man, we got to be careful about that. Sometimes we find ourselves doing that, man. Some, like, for instance, if somebody's not present with us, a lot of times we begin to, like, if they live halfway across the country or around the world, we start to think they're, they're less, that their voice has no say in our lives. What do you know about Arizona. What do you know about being a Christian in Arizona? Don't tell me that. You don't even speak the language. Be careful. Just saying. You know, the message, your message might be great, but it's not great over here. It's not great over here. Not now. But if their word is from Christ and it has Christ's authority, then it also carries Christ's power, and that is to build us up, man. Sometimes it's easy to feel like we have control of our spiritual lives and that guy or those people, they're out of touch anyway. 
They don't know. They're too old. They're too young. They're, they're totally out of touch. So, so what do we gain from listening to them? You know? Robbie, uh, Gallaty, who's, uh, pastor at Long Hollow and, and they're sending church for us, but he's also been a, a, a super close friend of mine for a very long time now. And, uh, I will always remember when younger years or younger days being out with him and going places and he's got a PhD in expository preaching. And I remember when he first got that, going places with him uh to where he was either a guest or he might have been a guest speaker or something like that but but he would he would take notes on everything if somebody came in and, and preached in our church he would take notes and now when I'm talking about taking notes I mean it, it, he he would write all over his hand I remember I'm like right here he would write little notes on his hand uh, it didn't matter it didn't matter you know how smart or important the person was it didn't matter their age or their spiritual maturity he didn't check any of that but he felt that he could learn from anybody man uh i don't know if he still does that robbie you still write on your hand (laughs) i don't know anyway uh paul says there in verse eight if i boast a little too much which is funny because that implies that he's going to that's basically implying that he's going to and he's not sorry about it but he does qualify his boasting he says it's not about me it's not about me. It's not been about me. It's about the church. Paul makes the point here that there's a clear difference between him and these other guys. What's the difference? The results. The results. Paul's authority is for building up, he says. The other's authority is for destroying. Literally what he's saying, right? The Lord gave Paul authority. So then, who gave these others authority? I mean... If it's from the same Lord, then why the two different results, right? It's not from the same. So where does their authority truly come from? Well, John 10.10 is a great place to go in your mind on that one. Jesus said himself, the thief, you could say Satan, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it more abundantly. Paul is telling these guys, look, open your eyes. Open your eyes, but... Stop using only your eyes to make spiritual comparisons. All right, stop. Look what he says, verse 9. I don't want to appear to be frightening you with my letters. (laughs) Basically, say I don't want to, but you're asking for it. You know? For they say, oh, his letters are weighty and strong, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech is of no account. Let such a person understand that what we say by letter, when absent, we do when present. Again, it's kind of like last week. They say, oh, he talks a big talk when he's not here. You know, but he, when he's here, he can't back it up. Or will he back it up? This is, gives us kind of a cool, rare glimpse into Paul, like who Paul was kind of personally on a physical and vocal level, right? Reminds me kind of of Moses' arguments when God called him to go to Pharaoh. Moses said in Exodus 4, verse 10, it says, Moses said to the Lord, Oh, my Lord, I'm not eloquent either in the past or since you've spoken to your servant. So before you came into my life and since you've been in my life, I'm still not good at speaking. He says, I'm slow of speech and of tongue. And then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's tongue? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? So not I, the Lord? He, it's saying, I prepared you for this. He didn't say, I'm going to fix your tongue. He didn't say that. He just said, I made your tongue. You don't think I know that? Paul's name here, Paul's name, the name Paul literally means little one. So perhaps uh, his size made him unattractive to the Greeks. 
there's a good probability of that. You think about Greek uh, history. If I think about Greek art, I'm always immediately picturing statues of muscle-bound people or, or sleek women. Or you think about the gods, the Greek gods. They were all known for their looks uh, and their muscle-bound features and all that stuff. And here's Paul. Apparently, um, bodily presence is weak. <laughs> That's a good way to put it. And the speech issues, who knows? That could have been a birth defect or it could have been something that came along from any of his beatings that he went through or the stoning that he got or shipwrecks or any of the stuff he's been through that could have caused that. But by contrast, and I love this, don't miss how they speak about Paul's letters. They're weighty and they're strong. Think about that. Why is that a big deal? Because we're reading one right now. 2,000 years later, we are reading them right now. They are scripture now. Man, think about that. Oh, man, to be told that you... Now, he didn't know all of this, I don't think, in the moment. Maybe he did, but I don't think he did. But to, to hear that your bodily appearance is not anything to be of account and your speech is not great, but if you could know that your very words are being written down into God's own scripture for all of eternity, man, come on. You know, think about that for just a second. Timothy says all scripture is breathed out by God, right? Peter said that no uh, scripture was of man's own invention here. Paul's words were powerful because God himself was breathing it out through him. Listen to me. Even the written words. Especially, I might add, the written words because they're the ones we're looking at today. But, but look, man, these guys in Corinth, they're not judging that. They're saying that. They're acknowledging that. But they're judging his speech and his appearance. And that wasn't new. Paul's, you know, Hebrew name was Saul. Uh, and his namesake, the first king of Israel, was chosen by the people because of his appearance. You can go back and look and first Samuel and we do it too listen man we're drawn to pastors we are we gotta admit it we're drawn to pastors or speakers who are pleasing on the eyes man if they look if they look great you know if they're, they're kind of good looking person we're definitely drawn to that and or the ears you know if they they just they could flow and they could speak so good well that's what we're drawn to right and if they have both, oh, wow, man, if they're both, like, super good-looking and can speak great, man, oh, my, we'll pay them a fortune. We want them on every TV station. We want them on every YouTube channel. Uh, we wanna, we'll want to. we build mega churches for those people. I'm not hating. I keep saying we. I get sucked into it, too. But Paul, listen, man, Paul was not the dream model pastor here, yet God chose Paul. God chose Paul and gave Paul authority that Paul would author the majority of the New Testament, man. That Paul's voice would be the voice to proclaim the gospel to countless places that it had never been heard before. That Paul would be the one that planted the first churches along with the other first apostles. And that Paul's physical size even now, listen to me, is completely irrelevant. You know why Paul's physical size is irrelevant? Because Paul is nothing but ash right now. He is, he is long dead and in the grave and decayed into dust. 
His body means nothing. His appearance means nothing. But we're still reading his words today alongside of Moses and Isaiah and Matthew. It's scripture, right? But Paul also says, don't underestimate me. Don't underestimate me. I'll fully display in person the words that I use on paper if that's what's necessary. Now, back, obviously not now, back in that time setting. Don't underestimate, don't underestimate. I need to come back it up. I'll come back it up. Don't mistake appearance for weakness. What he's saying. Don't, don't confuse what you perceive with the reality of what is. What are you trying to say? And Paul says, don't classify us with those clowns over there either. Look, look at verse 12. Not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves, but when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, they're without understanding. What happens when you compare yourself against others who are just like you? You heard what I just said? What happens when you compare yourself against others who are just like you? Who always say yes to you. Yeah, 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 sounds good, sounds great. Yes, yes. And they want everything that you want. That might be your best friend, but you better be careful, right? I heard a pastor describe leadership, his leadership, as being first among equals. You've probably heard that. You may even use it. If you do, don't be offended. I'm just making a point here that that his leadership was being described as first among equals. Well, he got asked what that meant exactly, and he said, my yes equals their yes. But my no trumps their yes. And he got oohs and ahs out of the people who asked him that because it sounds real, real good. But think about that for a minute. It sounds smooth, but think about what, I, what, what that is saying. My yes equals their yes, but my no trumps their yes. What does that really equal? Huh? It's a perfect strategy for creating yes men. That's what it is. Perfect strategy for creating yes men. And when you have them, then you're only comparing yourself with you. And you're only commending yourself by yourself based on yourself. (laughs) Surrounded by men who would agree. (laughs) Think about that whole scenario. Paul says that person is without understanding. I mean, that's what he says, right? That person is without understanding. No real guidance there. No real guidance, not growing to know the truth, not understanding the importance of being measured honestly. They are their own standard. Let that sink in a second. They are their own standard. But Paul wouldn't allow himself to be put in that place. He he, he won't do it. You know, we're all measured against Christ. All of us. I mentioned it already. I'll say it a bunch of times. We're all measured against Christ. Paul is not measured against those men. He's not responsible to be justified against their works. He's not required to have their physique or look like them, whatever that is. And that means, though, that they too are facing being measured against Jesus and not Paul. They don't have to be small like Paul. They don't have to travel like Paul. They're measured against Jesus just like Paul is. How often do we compare ourselves to others, listen to me, to other believers around us? I'm bad on this one, I'll be honest with you. I get caught up in comparing myself to other church plants. How, how, how do we compare ourselves to other believers that are around us? Is it healthy? Well, let me ask you this. How does it make you feel most of the time? How does it make you feel most of the time? Whatever the feeling, I'll be honest with you, it's probably wrong. It's probably wrong. Do you feel happy when you compare yourselves 
uh, compare yourself against the other believers? Well, uh, are you, or is that saying, thank God I'm not like them? <laughs> or do you feel horrible that you're not as successful or as holy or as close to Jesus as they are or pray as much or whatever it is? Both of those feelings are wrong. You're not compared with them. You're compared with Christ. I love how George Whitfield said this. Other men may preach the gospel better than I can, but no man can preach a better gospel. That's a, that's a good way to look at it, man. It's not. It's you're only compared to Christ. It's He's the gospel. He is God. He is the model, not you. Look in verse thirteen. Paul says, "But or in contrast to these other dudes, we won't boast beyond our limits, but we'll boast only with regard to the area of influence God assigned to us." To reach even to you. Now there's a bit of an accusation Paul's making here. He's saying, but unlike them, Paul won't boast about beyond his limits. Implying that the others are boasting beyond their limits. That's what he's saying. So Paul says that their charge, personally, their charge was assigned by God. It was given by God. Therefore, whatever Paul's accomplished is the work of God. Whatever Paul's done is the work of God. Paul says again, look around you, you, your existence. There's the proof that his authority is from God. The fact that this church that he's writing to exists, because he planted it. The fact that it exists is proof that his authority is from God and that his size and his speech are effectively irrelevant. You know, the power is from God. Why? Because that church itself exists. Because of them the, is the evidence of all of those things. What did these other guys that are throwing shade and slander and whatever at Paul, what had they done? Who, who or what did they have to show for, for, for what they claiming? In this, then, Paul says that he can boast on what God had done through them. He can boast on what God had done through them, and he will boast on what God had done through them because it is them, it is the Corinthian church that is what God had done through Paul, and he's boasting on that. And also, before going on, I need to recognize something here. We all do. Even if we wanted to brag on our own achievements, even if we did, even if we wanted to brag and compare ourselves with others and other standards and, and, and create a, our own standard against ourselves and all that other stuff, one thing ruins it all. We're all sinners, man. We're all sinners. That means whatever we compare is compared with sin. The sinner that I'm comparing my sinful self with. Think about that for a second. We are all sinners. So whatever we boast of doing in ourselves is done in sin. Whoever we compare ourselves to, no matter how holy they appear, they're, they are a sinner. Now, I'm not, I'm not talking about whether they're saved or not. I'm just talking about the nature of sin within us. So no matter how good it appears, if we're comparing ourselves with ourselves or someone else, sin is in the equation. All right, verse 14. For we are not... Ex- Overextending ourselves, Paul said, or, or reaching beyond our authority. We're not reaching beyond our authority as though we did not reach or convert you, is what he's saying. We brought the gospel to you. We're not overreaching. We brought it to you. And he's saying our authority does exist, extend to you. It does extend to you. Why? Because, look, for we were the first to come all the way to you with the gospel of Christ. He said we brought you the gospel. 
So if anybody has a right, here it's us. We brought it to you. Verse 15. We do not boast beyond the limit in the labors of others. He's saying we're not taking credit for others' work or, or bragging on somebody else's work like these big time apostles are, are apparently doing, trying to brag on Paul's work. He's saying, but our hope is that as your faith increases, our area of influence among you may be greatly enlarged. That, that, you know, that your faith opens doors deeper into the country for, for Paul. So what he's saying that, that your faith will open doors so he can advance the gospel further into Greece. Verse 16. So that we may preach the gospel in lands beyond you without boasting of work already done in another's area of influence like apparently these big time apostles are doing with Paul's work. And this also shows something of Paul's heart here. His calling to go. See where his heart is, where he wants to be. Romans fifteen twenty, Paul wrote there. And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. You know, Paul's not saying, by the way, that it's wrong to build on another's foundation. I've, I've heard that kind of slung around. He's not saying that. You know, in fact, that must happen. We must build on others' foundation or else there's not going to be any sustained churches. You know, Paul assigned Timothy as pastor of Ephesus, and then he went on. Peter remained and pastored the church in Jerusalem. Somebody's got to do that. But on the other hand, it's not okay for all of us to just sit back in our seat every week and assume that God's going to call somebody else to go. What Paul is saying here is really cool. He's saying that personally, they are called and led by God to go further, personally. And that's made possible because of the growing faith that they're counting on in Corinth. And to go on, they, that's what they want to do, to go on to, to, to places that are unreached, even as Corinth is sharing the gospel within its surrounding area of influence and growing. Uh, both are assignments from God. Both of them are. Both are necessary. Both are linked together. But this is not the desire of those who only want an inward focus. These super apostles or whatever, they only want an inward focus. They want Paul out, keep Paul out of here. And they will ultimately lead to the destruction of the Corinthian church. That's what he's saying. Why? Why? I'll tell you why. Because the church was never their burden as it was and still is to Paul who planted it. Paul wants them to grow. Paul wants them to build up. He wants their faith increasing because the result is the gospel advancing. Not because he's approved of himself, but because God has approved of him. And God alone then gets that glory, man. Sometimes churches forget to honor the calling of people to go. That's why church planning is such a big deal for us right from the start. We want that mindset to begin with because if not, we'll try to cling to people. You know, but churches, man, they get afraid that their numbers are going to go down if they start sending people out, you know. They begin to sit back instead of honoring those who are trying to expand the gospel. They criticize and they challenge them. They focus only on the numbers and who's sitting in the seat or who's not. And as those numbers begin to dwindle, they start grabbing at whatever they can. And ultimately, control becomes the central focus. And then destruction happens. And that's exactly what Paul is telling them about. Um, look, Paul summarizes all of this and he uses scripture for it and it's awesome. Look at verse 17. 
He says, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. That's quoting Jeremiah ten seventeen. I love he just, Paul always throwing scripture back in here, man. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. For it's not the one who can, commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. Tony Evans says this, says it this way. I love it. He said, how do you know you're operating in the right spot for the right reasons? You're making God look good by how you live. That's pretty good. The hinge point here is approval. If you're seeking only God's approval, if that's where you're at, if you're seeking only God's approval, if you're claiming God's endorsement on you, then he alone is who you want to condemn, come condemn, commend you. He alone is the one you want to commend you. You don't care what other people want to, to praise on you. You don't want that. You want him to have it. You want him to be the one that defends you. You want him to be the one who brags on you if it's going to happen, which you would only in turn give right back to him. Rather than you making sure that everybody knows who you are and everybody knows what you do for the kingdom and what you do for this church. Listen, even if even Jesus, while he was here among us, boasted only in the Father and not in himself, And he did repeatedly, though he had every right to boast in himself as much as he felt like. How much more should we boast only in Christ and what Christ has done through us, especially when we have zero right to boast in ourselves? So how do we respond to this or what do we do with this? Um, Well, let's take a a little test real quick. Whose approval, be honest now, whose approval do you feel like you seek the most? Whose approval do you feel like you're after most of the time? Your spouse? Your parents? Your best friend? Somebody you hope to be a boyfriend or a girlfriend? I don't know. Who's the one you most want to commend to you? What would change if they did? Listen to me. What would change if they did? Now I want you to think, what changes if God commends you? What changes if God commends you? What changes if God approves of your life and your actions? So how can we take steps to focus your eyes, focus our eyes, to focus our hearts on him and him alone, only comparing ourselves with him, finding all of our bragging about him only? Okay, I'll give you a few things. Number one, make effort to pray. You know what? That sounds like a simple thing, but I'm talking about even when you, I'm saying make effort. All of these are make effort. Make effort to pray. That means when you don't feel like it, especially when you don't feel like it. Find a way to get in the habit of making an effort to pray, especially when you don't feel like it. Make an effort to memorize scripture. I promise you that takes an effort. Not just read it. Memorize it. Memorize it. Commit it to memory because it changes your mind when you do that. Make effort to surround yourself with people who also put Christ above themselves and all others. Not yes men or yes women. Surround yourself with people who put Christ first above themselves and everybody else, even you. You've got to make an effort to do that, though, to put those people in your life. Make an effort to serve Christ in ways that stretch you so that you recognize when only he has done what you could have never gotten through on your own. I'm not talking about suffering. I'm talking about serving. Make effort to serve Christ in ways that stretch you. Uh, those things, I think, will start to refocus your heart and your mind, your eyes on those things in the right way. Listen to me. If, if 
you know what, you have never taken the time to compare yourself with Christ, let me just go on and tell you, whoever you are, I, I listen, I love you, but you're a sinner. It's a fact. If, if, if you can say the statement, nobody's perfect, then you are admitting that to be true. You are a sinner. I am, listen, I am a sinner. We all sin. It's in who we are. You are a sinner. But that's the beauty of the cross. Because of Jesus' sacrifice on that cross, when God looks at us, those who put their faith in him, when God looks at us, he doesn't see our sin. He sees Jesus' righteousness because Jesus took our sin to that cross and died on it. That's the same for you. Do you do you need to be free from sin? Do you feel like that? You feel like what I'm saying is silly or dumb or goofy? Or do you feel like somewhere in your gut, like, I need this off of me, man. I need to be free. I need to be free. I don't want to be like this anymore. Do you feel like that? Do you feel like that burden's on you? Do you need to stop looking at others? Do you feel like you're, you're, you're just drowning in, in looking at everybody else? Do you feel like you hate what you see in the mirror? The Bible says you were created in the image of God, that he loved you enough that he sent his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Listen, he loves you. It's time to admit it, man. Leave your sin on the cross. Give your life to Christ. I don't care how you say it. Just tell him in your own words, Jesus, I'm yours. I am yours. I am a sinner. I know it. Take my sin. Give me your righteousness. I'll follow you. I'll learn from you. Teach me. Show me. I don't care. Put it in your own words. But then listen, hit us up so we can help you begin to take steps uh, to become a follower of Christ and to give your life to him. And if you're here, we would love for you to come hang out with us. Let me pray for you. Lord, thank you for your word. I thank you for anybody who may have prayed tonight. Um, I pray, God, that you uh, open their hearts. Fill them with your Holy Spirit as your word promises that you will. And then lead them to a church that loves them and will guide them uh, into becoming a disciple of Christ. Lord, I thank you for the privilege of being in your word. Look forward to hanging out and uh, spending time with our family here at Salt River Community Church. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.